This is U.S. Marshal John Kruger with the Witness Protection Program. He'll be handling your personal security. My protection? Your new identity, relocation. I'll take you through it step by step. Smile. You've just been erased. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast Review of Eraser. Keep your heads up and your assholes puckered. Hosted by Brock. I'm a Boy Scout. Always be prepared. Stuart. Well, he thinks he's the best guy in the game. I think he's right. And Arnie. I think what I like and I do what I like. You'll soon learn about this. But be warned. This episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and strong language. We're way beyond bullshit here. We hope you enjoy the show. I think you know what has to be done. Do it. Today we're talking about Eraser, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Vanessa Williams, James Kahn, James Coburn, Robert Pastorelli, directed by Chuck Russell. This is Brock, co-host of Now Playing. And Stuart. And this is the Now Playing co-host with a set of balls like the King of Bayonne, Arnie. (laughs) This wasn't supposed to happen. And I mean that in a lot of ways. But Arnold truly was done with the action genre. And wrap your mind around this. But the plan was, I kid you not, Schwarzenegger, Scorsese. They were going to make a religious epic called Crusade in which Arnold would play a 14th century knight trying to get the Holy Lands back from the Muslims in a huge three-hour Oscar-baiting kind of vanity project that I would have loved to have seen. I don't know if I would have liked, but wow. This seems like that opening of Last Action Hero with his Hamlet. (laughs) Yeah. Except they didn't get the joke. I've heard about this Crusade movie. It's one of those movies that's in development hell for every few years it would come back around. And then I heard that they were going to try to take the plot of Crusade and put it into his King Conan sequel that never happened either. This is the same script we're talking about, right? You you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. It was John Milius who has his name on good and bad projects. Apocalypse Now is probably his most famous work. But I think for lots of reasons, this never happened. Part of it is that Carico Pictures... You know, the big action producers of 90s movies, they went bankrupt. They just couldn't afford to pay for something like that. The politics, I mean, I think you really run the risk of making Christians and Muslims look bad when you do something like that. And let's face it, Arnold, 1996, is not the draw he was even five years before. He had had Junior. He was not bulletproof. And so would you want to pay him $25 million for a Scorsese drama? I can see why it never materialized. I think this movie was an attempt to try and, like, be the seed money for something ambitious. Arnold knew he needed to change his image, but he's like, okay, I'll go back and do one of those shoot-em-ups just to prove I still got it, and then I can make something that I really want to do. Yeah, but still, why Eraser... Why with Dream Warriors director Chuck Russell? There's so much about this movie that just makes me question its entire existence, but anybody could have started Eraser. This feels like I wouldn't blink once if it was Steven Seagal in Eraser, but because it is Arnold, I cost $20 million Schwarzenegger, it makes me wonder, of all the pictures, why Eraser? 
Again, when he met with Chuck Russell, who was riding high on The Mask, the Jim Carrey movie, what they were talking about were pirate films. He wanted to remake Captain Blood, an Errol Flynn project, and, you know, this is a decade before Johnny Depp and Pirates of the Caribbean. Nobody wanted to fund that. So again, I think the mentality was, if we make something generic, if we make something in your wheelhouse and prove what a box office star you are, they'll let us do Captain Blood next time. What I also read was they were rewriting this movie up until camera's roll and then after camera's roll. They kept on writing and writing and writing this movie as they went. Yeah, you don't need to know that to know this is like five different movies at once. And everyone had their own idea about what it should look and feel like. Sometimes it's Commando. Sometimes it's The Bodyguard. Sometimes it's In the Line of Fire. Sometimes it's The Fugitive. You know, it really had ambitions to do all of it. And did it do any of it well? This is my first time seeing this. I assumed it was a modest hit in 1996. I thought that this one was considered a pretty good one for Arnold. But I guess I was wrong? Well, I saw it in the theater, but not by choice. We had a group of people going to see Independence Day, and somebody had told us that they had bought the tickets, and we went up to this ticket person, and the person said, oh, that showing is sold out. There's no more seats in there. And we're like, but we have tickets in our hand. And the guy was like, I can't let you in. There's no more seats in there. I'm sorry. But you can go downstairs and exchange it. So like there's five or six of us go down there. And only thing that's showing in the next 20 minutes was Eraser. So we went in, the six of us, to see Eraser. None of us wanted to see it. And that is how I saw it theatrically. And that was the last time I watched Eraser until this podcast. Mm -hmm. I also saw it in theaters. I remember some buzz around this, but mostly I saw it, A, because it was Arnold, and I was seeing most Arnold films in theaters. And, I mean, I did not go for Junior, but... (laughs) (laughs) No one did. I was going for his action films, and I think it was just sheer boredom. I'd read a lot about this movie. There was a lot of talk about some cutting-edge CGI with some alligators or some crocodiles or something. Mm -hmm. I knew about your luggage. That's the only thing I knew about this movie. Yeah, in the magazines I'd been reading, there'd been quite a bit of talk about these alligators, and so I was like, all right, Arnold fighting alligators, I'll go see this movie, and... Coming back to it now, 25 years later, it's like somebody took an eraser to my brain about this, though. I remembered nothing about this movie coming back. I didn't even remember that there were alligators. It was like, oh, yeah, when the alligators showed up. I agree with you. It's kind of like watching a movie all over again for the first time because I remembered very little about it. Um, except that Vanessa Williams, of course, was the female lead. Yes. I remember you asking last week, Brock, like, whose brilliant idea was Vanessa Williams? What uh, are the many people tinkering? This movie has like eight screenwriters and 20 producers and everyone saying, make it like this. No, make it like that. I really think that Maria saw Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston and said, Arnold, you should do that. This is Maria Shriver's pick. She was the one that said, Vanessa Williams is classy and she will show Arnold's soft side. To which I say, ultimate irony, yeah, he's stooping your maid while you're casting Vanessa (laughs) Williams, but okay. But also she was fired as Miss America because she posed nude in Playboy. Not Playboy! 
penthouse. Even more extreme. I agree. Is Vanessa Williams classy? By this point, she did have a lot of adult contemporary ballads like Whitney Houston, Save the Best for Last, what have you. But yes, let us not forget, she began her career being disgraced as the Miss America who had her crown taken away because she went with Larry Flint's publication. <laughs> right. And then a year before this, she had the Colors of the Wind uh, Pocahontas tie-in. As you said, if you're going for a Whitney Houston type for this sort of thing, because as a bodyguard aspect, then that does fill in a lot of blanks for me, Stuart. There you go. She has all these ballads on AC radio. That does make sense. However, it still seems like a, a strange choice. Yeah, Arnold's not Kevin Costner. First of all, The Bodyguard's a terrible film, and I hope to review it someday because it's <laughs> hilariously bad. I'll be a newbie. But even if you liked it and thought they had chemistry, not easily replicated with these two. Yeah. But again, I thought this was a hit. It's kind of one of those hits that really isn't a hit. It made $100 million at the box office. It had a lot of competition. It's the same summer, as you pointed out, Brock. Independence Day, Mission Impossible, the first one had just opened, and Twister had just opened, and The Rock had just opened. Time to Kill would come out. There were all these kind of big thriller action movies, and it just couldn't compete. But making $100 million when you cost $100 million is not good. Like, this thing broke even in the U.S., and then it was the international box office where it gained profit. It, they still loved him overseas. It made two and a half times what it made in America abroad. That is going to be the story for him for really the rest of his career. Not so great in America, but did okay thanks to China. But before I, my brain erases the knowledge of this movie, Arnie, how about a plot summary? Arnold Schwarzenegger is U.S. Marshal John Kruger. Part of the U.S. Marshal Witness Protection Program. John is an eraser. He fakes the death of a witness and sets them up as an entirely new person. For their safety, of course. John's latest witness is Vanessa Williams' character, Lee Cullen, an executive for arms manufacturer Cyrez Corporation. Lee found out that Cyrez had developed a high-tech railgun and was going to sell it to the Russian Mafia. Working with the FBI... Lee stole a disc with incriminating information, but she was caught by company security. Now a group of Cyrus assassins are out to kill Lee before she can testify. John hides Lee, but becomes concerned as a number of high-profile witnesses in the protection program have been killed. John's boss, Robert DeGaron, played by James Caan, insists Lee be moved. This is all a trick, though. This arms sale conspiracy goes all the way up to the Undersecretary of Defense. Robert is in on it along with Cyrus. Robert now wants to kill Lee and John and frames John for the murder of another U.S. Marshal. John gets to New York and goes on the run with Lee. They need to get the information off Lee's disc, but it's encrypted. The only way to open the disc is in Cyrus' offices. Despite every Cyrus official and U.S. Marshal looking for them, John and Lee successfully infiltrate the Cyrus building. <laughs> what a plot. We'll get there. <laughs> On the disc, they discover the arms deal is going down that night at a New York City pier. Lee is taken hostage, so John goes to the pier. He blows a lot of stuff up and rescues Lee. We then jump forward. Lee's information has started a congressional investigation into Robert, as well as the Cyrez CEO and the Undersecretary of Defense. But it looks like the three men will be able to use the system to escape prosecution, except John has them erased. He strands their limousine on train tracks, and an oncoming train kills all three corrupt officials as credits roll. So as we start, 
What a montage. I actually rewatched this montage like three times trying to figure out the importance of papers being burned, of knives being put in a belt, of rubber gloves being put on. Later on, he's going to pull out that knife and use it. I was like, hey, that's the knife from the montage. Here's the thing. I heard the title... Eraser to me felt like Terminator. I assumed Arnold was an assassin. I just, for whatever reason, just had in my head that he was going to be on the top of bell towers taking out probably bad guys, but he would be a callous killer. That was what I thought. So when I'm watching this imagery, I'm like, I don't get why we're watching Vanessa Williams burn her driver's license. But yeah, what this opening tells us is an eraser is someone in the witness protection program who has to very dramatically stage a death so that people of dubious backgrounds can continue to rat out said dubious background. And we have Robert Pastorelli, who is this guy? He's from Murphy Brown. He played Eldon, who was Murphy Brown's handyman, who just was there all the time finding some other project to do. That's it? That's all I know him from. All right. So it explains why he, he, he didn't mean anything to me. But yes, he's the comic relief character who is set up here in the beginning so that we'll be theoretically delighted when he comes back into the climax. Here, he's got himself in trouble. He's an Italian that goes to the old neighborhood and still visits his old haunts. He still eats at the same restaurant. And so mafia goons have come to his safe house and are about to burn him alive when Arnold... Okay, Arnold's 48 in this movie. And I definitely notice a difference from Commando. Like, that man loved to take off his shirt. He loved to kill. He's looking... Older. I feel he is hiding behind these Matrix trench coats in this movie. He's very self-conscious that he doesn't look or move the way that he used to. Am I wrong? What are with these moves, though? I mean, he's using a garage on somebody while on a rooftop, but then he comes in... And they have him doing karate moves. Right. He does a high kick. This is what I mean. And then he sweeps the leg. I'm like, mm -hmm. does anybody think this man with these muscles can move that way? I got Batman. Because the garage pulling him up out of nowhere. I said, Batman. He comes in and starts shooting Batman, Batman, Batman. And then my note on that, Stuart, was very similar. And he looks very slight. He looks thinner. Yeah. Remember how The Rock was like, now he's gigantic. But before he did that, after Scorpion King, he, he slimmed down very much to be a very athletic type. It kind of looks like Arnold's slimmed down in his... He's definitely wearing all those vests all the time in this movie. So it seems like Spanx, almost. Mm-hmm. And I get it. Like, you don't have the body. No matter how hard you work out, you do not have the body you did in your 30s and 20s when you're in your 40s heading into 50. It's just not going to happen for you. Unfortunately, he hasn't been able to leave this genre behind. So he's trying to do the old moves in the dark, wearing long coats, yeah, and having stunt doubles doing karate and things that just... It tells me really from the beginning, and I'm not the action guy, so you guys can shout me down, that this really isn't a great vehicle for Arnold action. What kept going through my head the entire time I'm watching this movie is miscast. Yes. Whatever I think about this movie, it could be better if you just replaced your lead actor. And actress. Perhaps. But I can't blame Vanessa Williams if she doesn't have chemistry with the lead actor. But not long after the scene, 
is the most dumbfounding scene. More dumbfounding than Arnold doing a high kick is Arnold sitting at a computer erasing <laughs> records and dragging and dropping from point A to point B. My first thought is, doesn't he have people for that? My second thought is, oh, this isn't supposed to be Arnold. We're supposed to have a Tom Cruise here or something. Somebody who could be tough and also be smart. Well, that's the thing. Be smart, because this guy's terrible at his job, and let me tell you why. The plan was he's going to burn the house down, and they the whole thing blows up, and they run to the car. They're in a suburban neighborhood. You can't tell me that none of the neighbors across the street or next door didn't pop their heads out and saw three people escape the burning building and drive away, peeling out the car, I might add, as he drives <laughs> away. And they're supposed to be dead. So how on earth are they going to think that they got away with this? And I, the reason he's the guy typing in the information already, because only he and, and James Coburn, his upper, upper boss, have the information on the new identity of Robert Pastorelli. So I get it, but that's not the role you put Arnold in. You know, I was surprised when Arnold started doing Instagram videos that he was able to work a cell phone. <laughs> it's just not what I imagine Arnold to be doing. And yeah, this isn't a role for the muscle bound Hulk. This is a role for a spy. Yeah, but he was the Terminator, and as a cyborg, he could do those kinds of things just instinctively, because he was he had cybernetics built into his head. He could probably go up online and do some of these things. I think they're trying to trade on that. Believe it or not, even though when you watch this movie, you won't feel it very much, I really think they were trying to pull a lot from Terminator, right down to the name, Eraser. Like, they really want you to carry that goodwill into this character. The opening credits, for sure. I mean... While that montage is going on, there's a bum 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 bum. It's not but a bum bum bum, but it is pretty damn wannabe of bum 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 bum. Very ominous. Yes. Yep. And right after we get the intro scene with Arnold, and we set up James Coburn, and we see James Con walk in, and I mean, if you don't know, he's dirty from the minute James Con walks in. You're not watching the right movie. Right. First of all, it's James Con. He's almost always a bad guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Vanessa Williams does a computer disc covert into a secret vault database thing that's done the same summer 12 times better in Mission Impossible. 12? <laughs> I mean, like, give me a break. Like, this was, like, the lamest stealing documents out of a secure computer scene in the world. It looked like a car wash. There's, like, all these robotic arms or whatever, but I'm just... It just is crazy. I gotta defend the robotic arms because I sold one of those in miniature. That was actually very cool to see this hard drive bank work like that. I was actually pretty geeking out and remembering my days as a consultant. Okay, but it felt like a giant jukebox. And I just, yeah. that, should, that all of this effort was made to burn a mini disc is just pretty hilarious. It is. It's too bad that they came out the same summer, too, because how can you not draw comparisons? Now we know how famous that scene from Mission Impossible was. And the spy elements of this movie are completely overshadowed by other movies like Mission Impossible that Tom Cruise, who could have starred in this movie, was already concurrently making. So it really just is hard not to think Mission Impossible and the missed opportunities. I know he wasn't a big star at this point, but James Cromwell is here early on in the spy shenanigans. At this point, he was best known as like the keeper of Babe the Pig. But he's here enough for me to ask the question, why does he kill himself? What was this about? <laughs> 
Okay, well, she was wearing a wire. She's got a camera as well as this disc with information. Right. And he says all that incriminating stuff about how we have to make money. He completely outs himself to the FBI. Wait, wait. Oh, so because he calls her to the office and then realizes that's on tape, that's why he killed himself? Yes. Oh, okay. So it's really an impulsive last minute thing. Okay. Well, I mean, also it's lazy writing. Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like he might have had a lot of other scenes and been a part of another plot. And then during all of this furious rewriting, he just goes away. Because what we're going to find out, and something, one thing I know that did come in late on this was the pressure to produce sci-fi. At some point, this was just going to be a straight espionage thriller, three days of a condor kind of thing. And then someone said, no, Arnold movies that really make money have science fiction elements and we need a really cool gun. The gun was added, I think they had already shot half the movie by the time they realized they needed the super gun. And you could feel how that had nothing to do with this company. That explains why half this movie doesn't have those guns. Yes, yes. And why they thought that that gun would somehow be the sci-fi thing that they needed. It's not exactly a trip to Mars. Uh, I'll just put it that way. This gun looks real stupid, and I doubt they ever even sold a toy of it. I love this gun. I love the rail gun. I'd been playing a lot of first-person shooters where you get a rail gun. I was so jazzed in theaters for the rail gun. I think the rail gun's silly. It's a laser gun. It's basically a laser gun in the middle of a spy movie. They talk about it. It's technically shooting a high-velocity aluminum round. Yeah. Yeah, okay. It looks like a laser gun. It, they added a special effect so we could see where it's going, but it is shooting a projectile. It is not shooting laser beams. I understand. But it still seems like a laser gun. And a cheesy one at that. Like one that you would ha see on a syndicated like Babylon 5. Well, also, it's almost like the bullet trajectory of the Matrix. Maybe they were on the cutting edge of that. Matrix wouldn't come for a little while. But I don't think it looks cool like bullet time. I think it looks really stupid. And I'm just going to go ahead and say I was shocked. I know Arnold got paid $25 million of this $100 million budget. But I don't think much of that budget went to the actual production values. This thing... Thing. It looks like blue screen and, yeah, like a robotic arm. Like, they just didn't have the money for a great-looking picture. Some of this could be attributed to the director. I mean, Chuck Russell, I like a lot of his work. I like Dream Warriors a lot. I like The Blob. I remember liking The Mask. But none of his films have an exact reality to their CGI. One thing about The Mask is, at no point was it believable CGI. So we're in the middling days of CGI where it's just starting to become something everybody's putting in their movies to better or worse effect at this time. Admittedly, yes, CG was in its infancy and most things didn't look like Jurassic Park. But this, again, from Arnold at this point, you'd think that he would have a good looking production. T-1000 liquid metal kind of effects. And this stuff looks phony. I can't disagree with you. And throughout the rest of the movie, uh, the effects continue to look bad. But on the other hand, I mean... At this point, Stuart, the effects aren't really bothering me. The laser gun is the third genre in a half an hour. So I'm really confused on what kind of movie I'm watching. When they introduce laser guns, I start to get confused. Agreed. What felt so important to one producer that they have a sci-fi element really sticks out like a sore thumb here. As does Arnold showing up in a Let's Party balloon van and coming to the aid of Vanessa Williams as they use these guns to attack her home and her ex 
boyfriend. This stuff, I'll tell you what, I got excited. I was not excited to watch an Arnold action movie. And the beginning of this movie, I was like, meh, this looks bad. I'm really surprised this is not up to his standard. And when I realized that she got like all dewy eyed and would like fall in his arms and I'm like, oh my God, are they really going to kiss and have a romance? <laughs> I got super excited. They don't. They pull back from it for some reason, maybe because they realize that the chemistry is not there. But it's really funny that they think they have something here in the beginning as Arnold's trying to whisk her away and give her this new identity. Oh, and they even kill her boyfriend first. I mean, her ex-boyfriend comes in and we have to make sure she's single because we also need to see the rail gun in use. And so who better to kill than this boyfriend that won't get the hint that she wants at least a break, if not a permanent one. And Stuart, I read that test audiences uh, did not like the romance angle. So some things were filmed and they took that out. It kind of felt that way. I want to see them. I want those deleted scenes badly. In fact, uh, that's all I wanted to watch from this movie was Arnold trying to do a screen romance because, again, he really doesn't do that too often and it would have been curious to see that attempt. Yeah, the very last scene here felt like it was building to a kiss and when it didn't come, I was glad because it is completely unearned with, again, the lack of chemistry between these two characters. She doesn't even want his help. She's so pissed off at the FBI that she refuses witness protection and it takes them blowing up her house with rail guns to even admit that she needs some level of help. And I don't understand. She knew something was going on, but she didn't know about the guns. Like, they'll spend so much of the rest of the movie trying to get back to her headquarters to open the disc. I would have thought she would have known what she was downloading. Yeah, the schematics were showing up on the computer screen as she was downloading the information, so it's inconsistent. I'm not honestly quite sure what information she has. Right. I never, throughout this entire movie, know what she's going to testify to. The big mm -hmm. thing is, they are selling weapons to Russian mafia. That's going to be the big thing. Yeah, we eventually hear that, but in the middle of this movie, we just see that her disc, the only copy that we thought was created, although we saw her make the duplicate, the original copy she gave to the FBI, they Chelsea Manning that shit, and someone slips it into a CD case, and then they bring it to, like, some high-level, like, senator or something, and he snaps it in half. And so it looks like the bad guys have won, and then lo and behold, they realize she has a mini-disc of it in her makeup compact, and the middle of this movie is about trying to get her and said mini disc. And one thing you point out is the villains of this movie are really ill-defined. You said a senator or somebody gets the disc and snaps it. Well, mm -hmm. as I pointed out in the plot, at the end of this movie, we're going to have three white-collar guys. We're going to have James Caan plus two other people. And whatever James Cromwell was doing. I mean, he, was, <laughs> I mean, he didn't seem that guilty to me. Yeah, and I wasn't sure who some of these guys were at the end. Wiki said one of them was the CEO of Cyrez. Well, I thought James Cromwell was CEO of Cyrez and he blew his head off. So I guess it's one of the, these guys is James Cromwell's boss who is around but undefined. And then we do get to see the undersecretary give a speech to 
Congress or something early on and set him up, but he's not really a character. So we're left with James Khan as the face of these characters and they're evil. But yeah, we're supposed to think there's higher players that are so ill-established as to virtually not matter. They're trying to make this whole thing like an Iran-Contra deal, and yet we're not going to focus on the political things. We're going to focus on action on the ground. Again, because I think that's Arnie's wheelhouse. Again, I want to emphasize how many screenwriters and rewrites, and while they were making it, they were changing major things, like suddenly there are laser guns when there weren't laser guns last week when we were shooting. I think that kind of disorganization is evident. Yeah, you talk about this scene, Arnold probably was acting against different people, and they just <laughs> cut them yeah. out and, and, and brought in these two to just say, well, here, this is the direction we're going with the script. I honestly can't tell you why James Caan is the villain, or why all of a sudden he needs to go to the log cabin to kill former witness protection people. Okay, that is part of his plan to trick John into giving up Lee's location, is if John thinks there's a mole inside the unit who can get to all of these people, then John's going to say, here's where Lee is, let's move Lee. And so it's all means to an end for this cover-up. It actually means the opposite. If you believe you can't trust your coworkers, you continue to not tell your coworkers where you put the woman. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's why it's <laughs> completely stupid that he falls for it. And why kill this woman? I mean, again, wouldn't he look better if they had rushed in and saved her? If they rushed in and she ends up dead, that's even more reason for Arnold not to give up Vanessa Williams. And after that break in at the log cabin and they kill it, that's when he goes on the airplane and we have the whole airplane scene? Yes. We already knew, right? Everyone knew James Caan was the bad guy from the moment he walks in smiling saying, I'm Arnold's mentor. It's like, okay, got it. But they really show us when he pulls out the gun and kills this innocent woman. And then, yeah, he, once they're back on the plane, he takes this opportunity to drug Arnold, take his gun, and then kill some silly trainee so that Arnold will look like the mole. Danny Nucci, who was a trainee in like five different movies at, at, around that time, is in Crimson Tide. He's a 90s young actor guy. Mm. Don't remember him. Yeah. He was in Titanic. He played Leonardo's best friend in Titanic. Oh, yes. Vaguely, yes. Remember him down in the steerage. Now, this airplane scene, though, I gotta give it to them. As far as effects go, this is the highlight of the movie for me. It does not get any better than Arnold on a plane with no place to go, blowing out the door, getting a guy sucked out, trying to get a parachute. He's being shot at. He can barely grip the parachute. He is hanging off the door. The parachute goes flying, and he has to make the choice to dive after it. As Brock mentioned earlier, the shot of him going through the flames of the engine that he had already destroyed. This entire airplane sequence is solid. Mm, here's what I would say. I agree with you when it started off, particularly when we realized it was going to be a showdown. When we see James Conn grab the airline pilot and be like, get him. And this plane that's like going down without an engine is like turning and it's going to be a high noon showdown. I was like, that's pretty badass. But blue screen, green screen work all over this thing. I'm spoiled because Tom Cruise has shown what you get when you <laughs> actually do the stunt. Yeah, well, okay, but obviously, I mean, we're not going to have Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, hang out the side of a plane, of course. Why not? Well, Tom Cruise is the only one that does that. Yeah, that's the thing is, 
I had the exact same note. I wrote to myself, this looks bad, and Tom would really be on an airplane that would really have a burning engine, you know? Yes. I mean, just because he's the only one who will doesn't mean that you should give a pass to the people who don't. And I do think... From what I read, Arnold did do a hell of a drop in this. He had to do it like six times and do a somersault while putting or pretending to put on a parachute during a drop and things like that. There really were some stunts going on that Arnold himself did. But yes, the blue screen is incredibly obvious. That doesn't mean that the suspense of it didn't work for me. Yeah. It's still cool. I'll give you this. This is a cool moment. I can't recall seeing a man in a parachute that's semi not working having to shoot out with a plane that's coming straight at him. That's a fun idea that's marred a bit by mid-90s CGI and doesn't really work overall because I don't care about the character of this movie. Also doesn't really work at all because he's a U.S. Marshal. He's not James Bond. He's not a super spy. He's not a Terminator. He is a U.S. Marshal who somehow knows how to be a super soldier. It doesn't make sense for this character to know how to do all of these physical things. I had a huge laugh, though, in the middle of the scene when the parachute was labeled emergency parachute. I thought the emergency was implied, but apparently you have to spell it out that it's an emergency parachute. There's never a casual parachute, is there? Yes. I, <laughs> I just wore it for the fashion. <laughs> And you mentioned U.S. Marshals. I do think the only reason they made him that, because I thought he was in the witness protection program in a Fed, and it could be so many things. But another thing that they're cribbing is the fugitive. And they have this whole thing where James Coburn is kind of like Tommy Lee Jones, and he's supposed to be getting Arnold. The He's chasing the wrong man, and he should be looking at James Caan when he's looking at Arnold and which ones he's going to believe. That all feels very half-baked into this as well. But you can see those illusions once Arnold lands on the ground and, and there's this chase at the zoo. Maybe somewhat, but the U.S. Marshals also handle witness protection. So, I mean, there is that. It's not entirely... It's Really? Okay. But yeah, we're going action to action here. The zoo sequence, I think this starts off pretty good with Vanessa Williams alone in the zoo, waiting by the payphone. The zoo's going to close. You know, I'm coming off the high of the airplane thing, so I think this is probably going to work. I'm just waiting for Arnold to show up in the nick of time to stop all of these goons with guns outside. And Arnold, of course, he has to ram into the zoo. He stole a tow truck. Bribed a couple of kids to, so that they wouldn't say anything about him stealing their dad's tow truck. He rams into the gate, and all of James Conn's men are just shooting this car. It's riddled with bullets. The tow truck gets in there. They go to look at John's body in the tow truck. John's not in the tow truck. This is a total fucking cheat. When did John get out of the tow truck? We literally saw him duck down behind the fucking wheel. That's why he's the eraser, right? He's a phantom. Yeah, okay. This scene doesn't work for me at all. A couple of things. Bravo for them actually shooting in New York, right? Because the Chinatown looks like New York, but apparently uh, this zoo is not in New York. There's no such thing as a city zoo in New York. There's a Central Park Zoo. I was thinking, I was like, I've never seen one in Manhattan. Nope. There's a Central Park Zoo in Central Park. It's where Madagascar is set, right? And then there is the Bronx Zoo, which is the Zoo of New York. Right. That's the one I think of, yes. Right. But the problem here is this. They did shoot on location in an abandoned zoo in Los Angeles, and they brought in all the animals in so it'll look like a zoo. However, it still looks like a set. 
My biggest problem with this entire, especially the big finale of it with the alligators we talked about previously, is it looks like a set. It doesn't look like a zoo. And I get it. We're making a movie. There are sets in movies. But when a movie set looks like a set, it kind of reminds me of Crystal Skull. One of the big reasons I didn't like Crystal Skull was how obvious a lot of those sets looked. And for, for the pedigree of a Steven Spielberg, that's unacceptable. For Chuck Russell, okay, maybe I can give him that. But it still looked... So it took me out of it completely. Then you have laser guns. And then you have Jumanji alligators that don't look anything like alligators. <laughs> this whole scene does not work for me at all not to mention of course one more thing in mission impossible the same summer he shoots out glass with fish in it and it's a big dramatic moment that was in all the trailers and here he shoots out glass in the same kind of fashion by mistake compared itself to mission impossible which is a much better spy movie yeah i mean yes it came out the same summer there's a lot of coincidence there mm-hmm but when I saw Arnold shoot out the glass, I'm like, oh, I feel bad for the fish. You know, he's going to be killed. I completely forgot that there were going to be alligators coming out of here. The world's most rabid alligators that are just going to kill absolutely everybody that they come near. I have seen alligators in person and live to tell the tale. So they're not <laughs> as vicious as shown in this movie, nor are they as fake looking as shown in this movie. I couldn't believe it. I remember there was something said about them. I can't imagine what was said is those alligators looked great it must have been those alligators looked terrible i remember reading a think piece i didn't see this movie didn't care to see this movie didn't care about arnold but i remember reading a think piece about like is arnold over because he said your luggage and like his one-liners weren't working the way that they used to you know silly as though that may be i do think it's a terrible groaner and it makes you realize that arnold hasn't been making us laugh the way that he did in say commando where he could just make those zingers and maybe you're rolling your eyes but you do have to concede they're funnier than your luggage <laughs> speaking of funny the fact that the plot is now going to hinge mm, entirely mm -hmm. on Robert Pastorelli's character from that first scene. That at this stage, the two of them are on their own, Lee and John, or Arnold and Vanessa. And so they have to go to a gay bar that... Robert Pastorelli's character, his witness protection is being a bartender at the gay bar because that's funny and they're playing It's Raining Men because that's the only song gay men listen to, by the way. And that he is now an important part of this trio. And did you guys catch the very obvious film flub here? I never catch these, but Johnny's behind the bar and talking to John and saying, I'll be there with you in a minute. And... He takes off the vest. We cut to John saying something. Cut back to Johnny. The vest is back on. <laughs> cut back to John. Cut back to Johnny. The vest is off again. And I was like, oh, okay, I never get to catch those things like the water levels not being consistent. But that was a quite obvious flub that I smiled about. I mean, they realize they need to break into her high-tech security complex, and the best one to do that is the Goomba that that <laughs> ruined the last assignment because he had to eat the pizza. And so now he's going to bring the pizza to the high-tech security thing and then fake a seizure in the, like, worst Halloween like costume ever of paramedics are going to slip it. Like, nobody looking at the cameras can tell that that's not 
Arnold and Vanessa coming in in the ambulance and then not leaving with him. Like then just like going into a room and hacking the place. You know, the first time I saw people dressing up as pizza delivery people that I can remember to break into a high security facility. Mission Impossible? It was in The Great Muppet Caper. Oh, okay. But Fozzie Bear <laughs> and Kermit the Frog go to the Mallory Gallery to try to break in with the pizza. And I'm like, this is the writers that came up with the pizza delivery gag and security guards in 1996 are going to go along with the pizza security gag. Like, in The Incredible Hulk, the Edward Norton one, he gives a pizza to Martin Starr so he can use the computer. Like, it's clearly a bribe versus a we're going to trick you kind of thing. This is insulting to the audience. This is stupid shtick. Not to mention, of course, he goes out of his way to get this guy a new life. Now he brings a civilian into harm's way Mm -hmm. and blows his cover all at the same time. This guy is really bad at his job. It's an extra rub because they're in a movie called Eraser and everyone's making the joke at this point. Like, we can't do this. Like, if this were Arnold in his commando prime, like, we'd love if he popped out of the pizza box covered in mozzarella saying special delivery and shooting everyone in the lobby. But they're trying to be smarter than that. They're trying to say he's graduated to these sophisticated cyber thrillers. And then, again, this lame, we're disguised as the paramedics, Three Stooges gag, gets them all the way to the 25th floor, and it takes security and James Kahn and everyone else, like, 20 minutes to figure out that they went to the office that no one repaired the window since James Cromwell (laughs) shot it out. Yeah. I'm missing the Arnold who carried the tree trunk. That was my thought at this time, is I'd prefer Arnold to walk in carrying a tree trunk than to see him try to do this stealth crap. Yes. Just kill them all. If this is what you're going to do, and you're trying to hold on to the past, don't pretend you're the cyber hacker thriller 90s guy. You're the 80s He-Man that's going to make us laugh. So you are the pizza delivery guy, and you pull the shotgun out of the pizza box, and we all smile. But they didn't do that. (laughs) They didn't. But yes, they figure out this is the only place that they could decode the disc that she's had this whole movie, and now they know they're selling it to Sergei Petra Puka bits at the dock. Which seems like you now have the information you need to turn it over, but because they got caught, they take Vanessa Williams... Like, the computer has an attitude. It's like, you've been erased. Like, it uses his own line against him and, like, erases the disc. So he can't give it to Coburn. This is why you never use a CDRW when you are trying to steal sensitive information. Always use a CDR, because then it's there forever. (laughs) You can't erase it. All right, so next time we're in the 1990s and we're using that kind of technology, we'll have that in the bank for us to know. Thanks, Arnie. Important safety tip. Thank you, Arnie. And for millennials, RW meant it was rewritable. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say that very little about this climax evokes witness protection. In fact, I would say it's witness endangerment. I don't understand any of this and why he is in witness protection because, again, he's really bad at protecting this person. Yeah, he goes chasing James Kahn, who's escaping in a helicopter off the roof of Cyrex. And so, again, in the most (laughs) dumbfounding twist, he's going to get Robert Pastorelli to take him to see his cousin... Tommy Two-Toes, not to be confused with Tommy (laughs) Two-Tone. Which would have been more fun, let's face it. Or Tommy Toon, for that matter, which I would have enjoyed even more. Yeah, (laughs) there we go. (laughs) But you have to go to get these Goombas, 
I absolutely love it. It is so bad. I'm laughing my ass off when they go to the pier during the middle of an arms deal and go, I don't see no union workers. <laughs> it is. It is over the top. And yeah, the fact that his cousin just happens to own the docks where this international arms sale is happening and like can yeah make it a union fight is just, I was cracking up at this point. You're right. It's funny. In a different movie, that kind of broad humor with all the pizza delivery and these Goombas and Mikey, the politically savvy gangster, that stuff would have worked in a different movie. But unfortunately, this is like the fifth genre we're going into right now. And it's very challenging for me to enjoy the comic hijinks of stereotypical Italian-Americans. Yeah, that movie would have been in 1986 and not 1996. I think that's the problem. When you really put it in the context of all what's really happening in the action genre and thrillers and popular culture, this thing just feels desperate. Well, also, it's made like a 90s film. It looks like a 90s film with the way it's mm-hmm. lit, the co- high contrast, you know, The 90s films have a look to them that I've come to identify almost as clearly as the 70s films have a look to them. And this 90s film looks more hard-edged than it is. It looks like you're in a serious film, and then you have a mafia guy who, to help his country, because he doesn't want Soviets to get American weapons, is going to go down and start a labor dispute. I mean, yeah, it's just incongruous in so many ways not to mention vanessa williams who's been like handcuffed to a chair suddenly gets free and like kills the bad guy with a coffee pot or something it's just well thank god it's been really uncomfortable the way he's like james Kahn says when you get into international waters you could do whatever you want i'd kill her and he's like oh we will be having fun in the water i mean he's like touching her face and all of this oh we know what's implied yes Yeah, I mean, it's just the sick rape shit. Yeah. So, coffee pot hijinks, and now she's dangling off crates of guns, I think is what we're seeing. The last crate of guns is going on the Russian boat. She's dangling off of it, and Arnold and James Caan, or James Caan's stunt double, have some kind of shenanigans here until they all crash to the bottom. Well, wait a second. She escapes just to get captured again a minute later, too. Like, it's really pathetic. Like, it's really sad. Arnold pops up with, like, two guns. I don't know, these rail guns look really heavy, but he's carrying them like they're made of styrofoam, shooting them around like a Terminator. Well, that's because he's Arnold. Right, but it just seems like they're heavy guns. And he's Arnold. Have you seen those arms? They're still bigger than most. But to top it off, underneath it is just hero music that comes up out of nowhere. A lot of the music, talk about incongruous... To what's going on, these movies, this very 90s heroic theme comes up out of nowhere, and it looks like, again, a different kind of movie. Like, if he came out of water, it would have been like the icing on top of the cake of this moment of how just this movie has gone completely off the rails. I just love his fast recovery. It's making me think of Last Action Hero, because he gets shot by James Caan. And I'm thinking, in the real world, he's going to be dead, but this is movie world, so it's barely a flesh wound. And then he has to save Vanessa Williams, who's dangling from this crate. And so he gets up, and he's stumbling. He can barely move. He's really fighting hard to just get into a jog to try to save Vanessa Williams. 
Two minutes later, he's dangling from one arm off of a crate, using his other arm to lift a chain holding Vanessa Williams. I'm like, what happened to that wound that was keeping you down not two minutes ago? It's just, having done The Last Action Hero now puts all of this bullshit in a new spectrum of you can't play those tricks once you've made fun of those tricks yourself. Yeah, and he's not as good at it as he used to be. I mean, that's the other thing is like, if you're going to come back and do the old stuff, you better be able to hit the notes. And that's also a problem here is that this isn't a good role for Arnold. And then Arnold's not good at what he used to be able to do. And earlier in the movie, too, he got a nail that went right through his hand. And he did a lot of back and forth of him trying to pull his hand off of this nail. And that also miraculously healed Arnie as well. So it happens a lot throughout the movie. And you're right, I think I noticed it more because of Last Action Hero. I had the same thought that you did. Oh, also, James Conn and he both fall off the crate. Of course, James Conn gets almost mortally wounded, and Arnold just walks away from this falling crate. I thought for sure James Conn was going to end this fight dead, right? I right. mean, that's how these movies go, is James Conn dies. But no, James Conn is going to maybe not walk away, but be escorted away from this... Well, Arnold lifts up the thing. I mean, he actually is pinned by all of this metal, and then Arnold foolishly lifts it up because he's crying, and I'm your old boss, and help me, and then he tries to pull a gun on him. You're right. It does feel like where you would end the movie. Yeah. But I think some writer had the better idea of, you know, legal thrillers being what they were. This can all be settled in court. We need to get back to Vanessa Williams testifying. Yeah, but that's not where they end of the movie. I would agree with you at the end at the courthouse and these guys, you know, going to go to jail because the entire thing was to get her to be able to be safe enough to testify and then she'll go into protection. That's where the movie could have ended. So the second time the movie could have ended was right there. But no, they had a stinger for some reason that makes zero sense to the character of a witness protection guy. And he's basically getting revenge or he turns into a murderer himself or... What the hell? Let's be clear. If you're just going to kill these guys, it doesn't matter whether Vanessa Williams testifies or not. Exactly. <laughs> Why get her to the courthouse and then stage her death again if you're just going to kill everyone that wants her dead with a train five minutes later? Right. How does James Conn not realize, oh, that car bomb is bullshit. She's still alive. Because they're in the car and they're arguing back and forth. Well, I thought you did. I thought you did it. But James Conn never occurred to him that, oh, wait a minute. That's John. That's our John. That's what he does. And did you notice that the van explodes, but then to wink at us and let us know they're alive, after the van explodes, we see somebody putting the manhole cover on? Wouldn't you want that manhole cover on first to prevent you from being scalded by the flames ejecting <laughs> from the van? <laughs> yes, but that's a movie thing. I know, it's a stupid movie thing, and again, after Last Action Hero, Arnold chose to make that movie that would poke fun at every movie trope, which means he doesn't get to use these movie tropes anymore. Right. He's got to be smarter these days. He's got to level up and be a 90s action star, and that appears to be a problem. And speaking of problems, I had a little bit of a problem because as the end credits roll, we will get to a Vanessa Williams song. I don't know if you guys sat through the whole end credits. Mm-mm. Oh, I did not. She did a love theme? Yes, absolutely she did. It was Where Do We Go From Here? It was a slow ballad. It did <laughs> not fit this movie at all. That's great. But then before that is a more rocking song that kind of fits this movie. It sounds like a Sammy Hagar ripoff. This song, 
I can find nothing out about it. It's not in the credits. It's playing over the credits, but when the credits get to all the music in the movie, it's not listed. It's not on IMDb. Shazam could not tell me who the artist is doing this song. You don't have the soundtrack, Arnie? I would have figured you would have bought this three times on disc. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a mystery song before Vanessa Williams starts crooning. <laughs> I just wonder, does anybody have any information about this song? Because it appears to not exist. <laughs> to be erased? <laughs> so, Stuart, Arnie, do you <laughs> recommend Eraser, Stuart? You know, I did not respect Commando, but I could understand why somebody would like it. The wisecracks, the down and dirty bullets and blood aesthetic of it all, the simple vengeance plot. It's dumb, but it serves an audience who, you know if you're the type of person that enjoys that, it delivers. I cannot imagine what Eraser delivers that would please anybody, any fan, whatever you're looking for, particularly action fans. And we're here to review Arnold's action career. And this one looks real flimsy, like maybe him at his worst. It's just, he looks old, he looks tired, the phony laser guns, all the blue screen work. Even when there's cool things like the airplane showdown, it's not convincing. Like you're not really getting the adrenaline drive of any of this. He doesn't have any good wisecracks or lines. I mean, God help you if you're here for the love story. Zero chemistry with Vanessa Williams. Zero chemistry with James Caan. Like I feel like I could never imagine a world where those two who had worked together as U.S. Marshals. Uh, frankly, this is just the kind of movie that needed to be made in a different era. By trying to do it as a 90s movie in the shadow of Tarantino and John Grisham and Die Hard and all of that, it makes Schwarzenegger really look old. And I'll turn his line back on him. You're not luggage, Arnold. You're just baggage. You're baggage from another era and you should be sent back to it. Strong not recommend. Arnie. They tried to sell illegal weapons to Russian mobs. Big mistake. Jack Slater 11. I mean, that's what I feel like I'm watching here. Mm hmm. We are watching a movie that Arnold made fun of in Last Action Hero. I, it's just this movie is ridiculously dumb and the action is not good. But I think part of the problem is that this got turned into an Arnold movie. I swear to God, this movie could be good. If you had put somebody else in this lead role, maybe Mel Gibson, he was starting to get a little long in the tooth around this point, maybe Denzel, maybe Tom Cruise if he wasn't doing Mission Impossible this summer. If you put somebody in there who could do action, but not have to blow everything up because that's what Arnold does. You think of Arnold, you think of him coming in with big guns and blowing shit up and having massive shootouts at the end. And if that's your expectation, that is not going to suit a film that's supposed to be about stealth and erasing and witness protection and defense where you're on the run. Arnold on defense rarely works out. I mean, admittedly, it did work out very well in T2 where they were on the run, but rarely does it work out. Here, they made too many concessions in trying to make an Arnold film of old, while at the same time, this wasn't the script for it. I can't give it a strong, strong not recommend because it's mostly banal and just 
trite shit. But, I mean, it's a definite not recommend, but I'm not going to set the thing on fire. <laughs> I also am not surprisingly not going to recommend this movie. And we keep talking about how he was miscast in this movie. I kept on going back to Speed with Keanu Reeves and Sandra Book that came out two years before that. How that was an unassuming action movie with two people in the lead roles that you wouldn't necessarily think of as action stars doing an action type of movie. Much different script and premise that was far-fetched, but yet was so much fun to watch and how those two actors made it look real. So if you even even had a Keanu Reeves in this role, if you had a Kurt Russell at this time in this role, those two have been much better and you could have taken away some of that craziness because Keanu and Kurt would have brought a little more grittiness to the action scenes and maybe a little more, a little more weight to it. And even paired up with Vanessa Williams could probably get away with much more. Now, of course... Keanu also had Chain Reaction right around here, too, and Johnny Mnemonic. And so maybe not every action movie that Keanu did is something we should hail. But you get my point that whoever it was going to be, it shouldn't have been Arnold. And this movie does not work for a variety of reasons. My biggest issue with the movie I've brought up quite a lot of times is it can't decide what kind of movie it needs to be or wants to be. The movie opens up with that 90s crazy opening montage, and it has a very serious, intense home invasion kind of scene. And then a few scenes later, we have laser guns. So, like, it really is crazy town where it goes from here to there and here and there. All I can tell you is that I saw this movie in 1996, and I all but erased it from my memory. That's not a mistake, folks. This movie is not worth remembering. So, yeah, don't watch this one, but... I can't tell you how disappointed I am. I can remember not liking the movie, but I can't remember it being this much of a of a mess of a movie from back in the day. Well, I'll tell you what. If you want to see it in a better light, I invite you to watch the sequel. We're only here to review Arnold action movies. It is heyday. But this year, about eight months ago, straight to something or rather, popped out Eraser Reborn. I watched this. Oh, boy. Who's in it? And if you think this was not the vehicle for Arnold or that anybody could do this, I don't know who the skinny white guy is at the head of this. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he's got even less vocal inflection than Arnold. Did you watch it? Oh, yes. I took that bullet. I wish I'd known that because I also took that bullet. I found out about this at the 11th hour and I'm like, okay, how bad can it be? The answer is very, very bad. <laughs> I mean... I said the first movie is just your standard Drek, but this one is special Drek. This is direct to video. We have no money. We have no skills. We have no stars Drek. I mean, this is just the kind of action film that they pump out. I'm surprised it didn't have Bruce Willis in it for like five minutes because it seems like one of those geezer teasers, except it lacked the ability to bring in that star who you'd normally put on the poster. But this is an annoying trend, I've noticed. These kind of half hits from 30 years ago are coming back with sequels all of a sudden with nobody from the original. I mean, we reviewed Deep Blue Sea 2. They got, I don't know how many jarheads. Backdraft 2 just happened a few years ago. Like, it's just like no one had any love for this eraser. Maybe they're counting on that and maybe you won't track how identical it is. It is actually the same movie without the budget. I mean, they, they hit all the same beats from rescuing a guy at the beginning that comes back to help out at the end and a hippo attack instead of an alligator attack. 
Yeah, and even that the woman is doing an undercover job and gets caught doing the undercover job and then doesn't want the witness protection. But Stuart, you mentioned Deep Blue Sea 2. Eraser Reborn is from the director of Deep Blue Sea 3. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, there you are. (laughs) I mean, he has a genre, and this is it. He also directed Quarantine 2 Terminal. So I understand from Wiki, Eraser 2 was supposed to be a sequel, then they decided to make it a reboot, hence Eraser Reborn. I think it's going to be Eraser Unseen, because if I Mm. didn't remember the Arnold Eraser, I am certainly not going to hold much in my memory about the one that starred Dominic Sherwood. Yeah, he's as cool as that name sounds. I agree with you. The thing you remember about Eraser is that it had Arnold and Vanessa Williams in it. I don't know who these people are. There's nothing to hold on to. I laugh because the MacGuffin of the movie, everyone's running around trying to get a cold wallet. And the connotations of that just make you think that they're like beggars hunting for pocket change. This thing is cheap. (laughs) They're just trying to grab somebody's wallet to pay for this production. It is really low rent. And yeah, I imagine it should die, but it wouldn't also surprise me if they made five more of them because that's how this goes, right? Like once they get on the sequel train, suddenly uh, it's a giant franchise. We are not doing the Eraser franchise. Want to reiterate, this is a one-off covering Arnold's heyday as an action movie star in theaters. So this is the last Eraser movie I'm going to watch. I agree. I watched Reborn. It made me almost retroactively recommend the original Eraser after seeing it because it did remind me. I mean, Eraser Reborn is right there on par with the Uva Bowl stuff we've reviewed or some of that direct-to-video zombie shit in the video game retrospective. It's that level of awful. Don't watch it under any circumstances. Okay. (laughs) But we aren't done with Arnold even in the 20th century Next week, we are going to be back covering him again. If Eraser didn't work a spy thriller, how does he work in horror? Fighting Satan in End of Days. I can't wait for this one. This is the jewel in the crown of this franchise for me. End of Days. I saw it in theaters once, and I can't wait to revisit it. And meanwhile, this Friday, for our donors... We will be returning to another franchise that has gone pretty much direct to video, Jeepers Creepers. In addition to Eraser Reborn, this Friday we have Jeepers Creepers Reborn. You joke, but I paid $15 to see this in a movie theater. We'll talk about it. That is available for people who have picked the Jeepers level of donation in our fall spring donation drive or our patrons of $50 or more who get all of our bonus shows for the current donation drive for the duration of the drive. We need to thank those patrons, because, I mean, Jeepers Creepers Reborn is not a gift. (laughs) (laughs) So, thank you to... This is a patron on Patreon. A patron has no name. That's his name on Patreon? That is. He's obviously a Fight Club fan. Yes. As well as Anthony Opes, Andrew Woodhead, Tom Jancic, James Kinslow III, Kent Lyons. How about Amanda Waddle, Andrew Doran, Maurice Wendell, Tanny Posa Rakitis, Benjamin Timmers, Valencia Burns. And we can't forget about Chicago 09, 
That's a chic five seven three. I think that said crisscross. Jump, jump. No, oh, I love them. Superman nineteen seventy one. Tacosta twenty one seventy six. J Clark Fisher. Elm Street ninety four. S G Harsh. Dimitri from Belgium. Now playing fan. Great Patreon name. J Trekker one. Wes Z twenty eight. And Big Nico twenty forty seven. Thank you all for donating and helping keeping now playing going with your patron consideration. And next week with End of Days, we'll be back. Say goodbye, John. (laughs) Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this Now Playing Podcast movie review. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Streets are clear. The police have returned to the safety of their donut shops. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. It's like a drug. You get hooked, there's no turning back. Want more reviews like this one? In the archives section of NowPlayingPodcast.com, you'll find more than 1,000 in-depth movie reviews from our panel of hosts including The Fast and the Furious, Mission Impossible, Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, and many more at NowPlayingPodcast.com. I am the eyes and ears of your world, gentlemen. Support from listeners like you keeps Now Playing Podcast on the air. You can donate directly at NowPlayingPodcast.com. You're raising the goddamn disc. And you can join our crowdfunding campaign for early access to new episodes, exclusive reviews, and bonus reviews. The next time you're dead, this only happens once. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. I'm proud of what I've done. Associate produced by Jason Latham. I could have done it without you watching over me. Now Playing is edited by Heath and Arnie. Get them ready. Clean this mess up. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Venganza Media Incorporated. You trusted them. That's all. Now trust me. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. Your luggage. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Oh man, did that hurt? It had to hurt. I saw. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2022 and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. I'll be right out. Directed by Chuck Russell. This is Brock co-host of Now Playing. And Stuart. Isn't he Charles Russell now? I believe he's Charles Russell in the opening credits. He's like pulling that Lawrence Fishburne stuff. He ain't Larry no more. It's not Ricky <laughs> Schroeder, it's Rick Schroeder. Right, I get you. Well, I'm, I'm going by Wikipedia here, it says Chuck. Yes, uh, the credits say Charles, because he's in charge. First of all, it's James Caan. He's almost always a bad guy. Well, I mean, an elf... Anyway, so... (laughs) Well, he was a bad guy in Elf.
he was a bad person. He wasn't a bad guy, right? <laughs> In The Incredible Hulk, the Edward Norton one, he gives a pizza to Martin Starr so he can use the computer. Like, it's clearly a bribe versus a we're going to trick you kind of thing. Martin Starr, you go with that? He also gave a pizza to Lou Ferrigno, you know. Oh, that's right. Lou Ferrigno. That's right. <laughs> that's true. He did. That's true. <laughs> that's true. I'm like, you're pulling Martin Starr out of your ass. Like, anybody knows who the fuck Martin Starr is. Martin Starr, from, uh, he was also in the Spider-Man movies, by the way. Fun fact, same character. I know that. I know you know that, but... <laughs> All right, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> Tommy Two-Toes. Not to be confused with Tommy Two-Tone. <laughs> which would have been more fun, let's face it. Or Tommy Toon, for that matter, which I would have enjoyed even more. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. We're going to tip throw the tulip. No, that's Tiny Tim. Oh, you're right. <laughs> Damn it. And did you guys catch the very obvious film flub here? I never catch these. But Johnny is behind the bar and telling... Or not Johnny. Uh, what's... There's Johnny. Isn't it? No, because it's John. John is Arnold Schwarzenegger's character. Robert Pastorelli you're talking about, right? Yeah, John Robert Pastorelli, yeah. So he is... No, he's John... Yeah, he's Johnny C. And John Kruger. They're both Johns. Oh my god, there's Johnny and John. Really? Yes. Are you kidding me? Oh my god. Nope. When the parachute was labeled emergency parachute. I thought the emergency was implied, but apparently you have to spell it out that it's an emergency parachute. There's never a casual parachute, is there? Yes. I, <laughs> I just wore it for the fashion. I'm going to do that tomorrow. I'm just going to go to work and pull the ripcord. Fun. Yeah, just fun. Just the, the casual parachute day. Yeah. Maurice Wendell, Tanya, Tanya, I love you, Tanya. Tanny. <laughs> Poesy. I like you too much to try and say your last name, Tanya, but it begins with a P. I think it's Tanny. It's Tanny. Oh, well, Tanya, I'm really fucked up. <laughs> 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 Trying it again. Tanny Posa Rikidis? I still like you, and please, I'm so sorry for murdering that name. 